Uh, number two, whew, I must have left the top off the tipex. Thank goodness you came when you did. Uh, number three, uh, I was testing my keyboard for dribble resistance. Number four, in the name of Jesus, amen. Just look like you've been praying all the time. And that, that praying all the time is kind of within the sort of the theme uh, of, this, of this passage. That is a short, it's a lovely little short passage. But I want to ask the question, before we get into the prayer, I want you to ask, answer this question. Uh, just for yourselves, everybody should be able to do this. Name three things you like about yourself. I'll give you about a minute. Three things you like about yourself. Make it, you don't have to share them with your person next to you. Of course, that clock's got no second hand, so, so a minute is nearly up. <laughs> okay, so without any show of hands, again, I hope you manage to find three things that you like about yourself. But I wonder, and again, no show of hands, I don't want anyone to feel embarrassed, uh, but how many of you listed things that you're good at doing? How many of you listed things that actually you're known for doing well? And I think that's quite important. I remember I used to do this exercise with uh, children when I taught PSE. And it's interesting how often we look to things that we do well, uh, that we like about ourselves. It's not wrong to like things about ourselves, but can we actually like ourselves for who we are. And it's important uh, to understand that difference because this prayer comes to Isaiah for the people when they are not able to do the very things that shaped who they are. You see, they are scattered across the Middle East. This prayer comes at a time when other armies have invaded. The Babylonians have come. They've conquered the Assyrians, then Israel again, and then they've taken Judah and they've destroyed Jerusalem and they've taken the people away. They've taken them away from their country. They've got no government. They've got no political system. Their religious system has gone. They've forgotten the law. They can't go to the temple and they can't celebrate feasts. So they're not able to do the things that shaped them. Isn't that helpful? You know, because sometimes when we find ourselves unable to do those things, we find ourselves sort of pushed on the back foot a little bit. And it makes us question a little bit about who we are. And so this prayer is given to Isaiah and he declares it uh, for the people, wherever they are, whatever they're doing. It's quite a, a powerful uh, prayer because Isaiah has set, in chapter 62, we read that Isaiah has set watchmen to repeat to the people across the lands this prayer. It, it's, it's, it's helping to reform and reshape who they are. And it comes in three parts. I can't remember what slide I've got next. Here they are. It's, it's the prayer. Great. Surely they are my people. That's, that's the key center to it. But if we look just briefly at verse 7, we would see that the, that verse talks about the character of God, his kindnesses, 
things he's done for which he's to be praised and thanked um, because he's wanted to do these good things because of his promises to this house, because he's compassionate and kind. It's quite interesting, isn't it? We don't always find those thoughts within the Old Testament. And yet here is a prayer Isaiah is declaring the kindnesses of God. And many of those kindnesses are rooted in the story of the Passover, where God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt and took them to a promised land. And it helps remind them that God is loving, that God does care, that God is compassionate, that he doesn't ignore their situations. And it's important to bear that in mind, because if love is real, it can't be seen to be love until it has done something for the loved one. Love cannot be seen to be love until it has done something of benefit to the one we declare to love. Otherwise, it's just ideas in the sky. And so this helps root them that the character of this God isn't remote and distant. He has acted in their past. He has acted in your past. He has acted, he's part of your story. And then in verse 9, if you just uh, read a little bit ahead, we see more of that compassion and empathy that he shares with his people. In all their distress, he too was distressed. He shared their distress. He felt their pain. He understood who they are. And then in his love, in the angel of his presence, he saved them. And that talks a little bit more about the Passover, but I want to come to that. And in his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them as all the days of old. So there's these lovely pictures that Isaiah is reminding the people of of the ways in which God had helped them, things that they could draw on, things that they could remember, passed down, generation to generation. And they underpin the whole thing about this, this lovely prayer in the middle. And the reason I found myself uh, thinking about this prayer quite, um, it's quite challenging, actually. Surely they are my people, children who will be true to me. And so he became their saviour. And I was just thinking about how those words would resonate uh, to people who had been lost or scattered and without the ability to do the things that they were used to doing. If we planted this, if we took all of us into the middle of some African country, a few of you would be familiar with it, but the rest of us would panic, I think. Basically, hands up the panickers. All right, not as bad. (laughs) Do it. Right, it was over half, thought they'd be okay. Um, so, but we want to, we, we, we would be taken out of our circumstances, the things with which we're familiar. Would we, would we feel confident about where God had taken us? And I just reflected uh, that during the first few weeks, uh, during the first term when I was in Vicar Factory, I was among about a dozen trainees who were older. All of the rest of the Vicars of the Future then looked about 11. Okay, why aren't you at school, Sonny? 
Um, <laughs> sorry, that's very rude. Um, but all of the others looked about 11. But the rest of us, that little group of older ones, well, we had families. Some of us had had proper salaries uh, and had held proper responsibilities and job titles. Um, and during week five, by which time we'd had two or three essays returned with grades that were not what they could have been, <laughs> try harder, could do better, I think all of us, all of us had these little meltdowns. We all had these little moments where we just crashed and we just found ourselves, we'd sort of sneak into the chapel hoping to find it quiet and nobody there to have a little cry or a little, what are you doing, God? And, and find that there was somebody already there and that they were about the same age and going through the same sort of stuff. And the tutors brilliantly were, were really keyed up for this. And so they kind of just scooped us up and they called it the week five blues. And they, and they put it quite kindly. They said, look, you're not the smartest, cleverest, fastest thing around here anymore. Everybody else is better than you. <laughs> Which was a nice way of putting it, I think. Um, but you're here because God has called you here. And your job is now to discover, rather than investing who you are in the things that you were able to do, who are you? Who are you? A very powerful uh, question. Because when you strip away all of those things, sometimes there's not a lot left. And you realize you've been skipping along on, on not much. So it was really powerful uh, when I was reading this prayer. I was reminded of some of these these, these uh, sort of things going on. So we needed, God wants them to find their identity in him and not in the things that they were able to do before. And let's be honest, the people had not really performed those very well. They'd ignored a lot of those laws, forgotten a lot of those rituals, and uh, had sort of neglected their worship of God, which is why they'd been scattered anyway. So we find that God's love and his graciousness towards his people isn't based on performance. It's not based on uh, their ability to do things. It's based on who he is and his character. So God is the one who wants to say, surely they are my people. I choose to identify with them. I have made them my people out of my love and my kindness for them. See, the world runs like this. Yeah, I remember watching an episode of the, one of the Wimpy Kid films, and, and, and children, even children, rate themselves. Am I, I'm, how popular am I in the year group? And it's all about uh, performance and possessions and position and popularity. All of those things uh, that, we sort of, that people were basing their lives upon, things that we still base our lives upon, our understanding of who we are, but that's not what God decides to do. He chooses to make himself known to people and he chooses uh, to be faithful towards them. And the amazing thing is that when they, when they mess up, he doesn't throw his toys out of the pram and leave them to it. He doesn't abandon them because he's chosen to love them. When he chooses, when he chooses to love somebody, he keeps on loving them. And the brilliant news is he loves us all and he doesn't base it on these things. So if you haven't got any of this performance, possession, position or popularity thing, and nobody admits to the last one, if you haven't got these things, God still loves you. 
He doesn't about, he's not based on that. He's based on the fact that you're a human being made and loved by him and you're still walking the earth. That's what he's basing it on. And so God is committed to his people, however scattered and far they may feel from the things that helped identify them, the things that they were rooting in. And so he remained faithful to his choice because of his great love. There's a brilliant um, the word, if you look at your Bibles, in uh, verse 9, in his love and mercy. Um, that word love is unique in Isaiah, ahabot. Okay, that word for, used for love there is unique in Isaiah. And it's deeper. We're used to talking about God as being a, a loving heavenly father. But here, it's literally friend. He loves to have company, and he wants people to be his company. He wants the company of the people he loves. That's it. And we've seen that in bef before in the pattern of God's behavior, the things that he's done for them. He has appeared to them in a cloudy pillar. He has appeared to them on the battlefield. In Joshua, he starts, I am the commander of the army of the Lord. I will be on your side. He appears to them he appears to Moses on the mountain and sits with him and speaks as a man speaks with his friend. God's desire to know us goes that deep, goes that far. He's, there's not a situation he's scared of, but he wants to get to that one where we can sit and speak with him as a man speaks with his friend. That's what he's after. That's his level of commitment. And we saw it in Jesus too. Jesus made that even realer, more real. Because he said to his disciples, I have called you friends. They followed him for years, called him disciples. He called them servants, but he also called them friends. Because he'd made everything about himself known to them. His desire was that they would know God in the way that he did. So God is committed to loving his people. God is committed to identifying with his people. They are my people. In our world, we have all sorts of labels that we attach to who we are. It's become an almost an impossible matrix to rough. And people sort of look for all sorts of things. And we've all got all sorts of stuff going on. But we can also say, we are God's people. He is my God. And I am one of his people. Now, when Jesus said, for everything I've learned from my father, I've made known to you, uh, that wasn't just something that he, were, he said, well, that's a nice set of suggestions. He expected them to learn it and live it out. So it is with the prayer that Isaiah gives out to his people, children who will be true to me. Now, that's not a condition it's his hope. These are my people who I hope will bear my character. They will be like me. They will, they will share because they know what I am like. They will become like me. How wonderful it is to have a God who hopes for you. When God is on your side, then you've got enormous strength in your corner. God hopes good things for you. And if you imagine the sorts of settings that these 
desperate and split up and scattered people ended up in. They found themselves in villages with no temple, no synagogue. They found themselves doing jobs they'd never thought of before, working with Gentiles who they'd never really had to engage with before. They'd lost positions and power. They'd lost status. They were confronted with different choices. They were confronted with compromises. There's this lovely thought that even though they were miles away from what they thought was important, God was with them and hoped good for them. God hopes good for us. He hopes that we would learn his ways and that they wouldn't deal uh, falsely with him. That they would take on his nature, represent and rely on his character, become representatives of him in those places. And when we entered this relationship with God, through Jesus Christ, we committed to take on his nature and character. We opened ourselves up by the Holy Spirit to be changed and transformed. We we made those promises that we would become more like God, that we would allow his ways to shape us. And then you can read, I've left it off the slide, uh, but, but... they would not be sons who would not be false. But sometimes we're not false. Sometimes we're not like him. Sometimes we're not like him because we forget that Sunday is the beginning of the week. And that the rest of the week is to, and Sunday is to flow into the rest of the week. Because subconsciously we separate what we do here with what happens tomorrow morning. And that God is here today. And he'll still be here tomorrow, but he'll be with you wherever you are tomorrow. And we separate those things and we forget that we're rooted. We're his people, not because we're in a building, but because he has made us his and he is with us. I guess over the next, if you haven't already, you'll be looking back over the last year. And for some of us, we've had some, some things were fun and surprising blessings. And I suspect some of us found that things were hard to deal with and were still having to work through them. And some of us, a few of us, had uh, tragedies that um, were still sort of affecting us. And some of us have had amazing answers to prayer. Maybe a few of us had moments of real isolation and fear. And some of us are going through constant, what feels like constant change. We're placed in a world that is not reliable. And life is unpredictable and can catch us out. Just like God's people, when Isaiah was praying these words, they didn't know what was going to happen. They couldn't be sure of some of the things that they'd placed their certainty in anymore because they placed them in the wrong things. They thought because they turned up to synagogue, they turned up to temple, they said the right prayers, they did the right things, that God would be pleased. But what he was after was their hearts. What he wanted were hearts for worship, people who accepted this relationship to become his children and be shaped by him. And it's important because what the Bible tells us is that God does turn up in those dark places, in those difficult places, in those places of pain, in those places of rejoicing and wants to share them with us because he wants to be our companion. He wants to live life with us. And so while we're busy working hard 
to be his people. Maybe we should actually allow ourselves to be more aware of his gracious presence with us. Maybe we should slow down a little bit and take time to talk to him about what's going on, to ask him, where, where is this going? What's happening here? To discuss it freely with him, to share what's going on and listen to what he might say. We can do so in confidence because Jesus said, I'll be with you always. He's always there, always there for us to talk to. And if we're willing, there to speak and listen. Jesus said, I will be with you always. God took us on and became our saviour so that we might know his abiding presence with us all our life. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us for who we are. Pray that we would learn to accept that. Pray that wherever we are, we would come humbly to ask you to be part of our lives. May our lives and the year ahead be yours. And may we know your love and kindness and mercy every day. Amen. Well, before we uh, come to worship, we're going to have a short time of confession. Jesus Christ, risen Master, triumphant Lord. Shall we say this together? Jesus Christ, risen Master, triumphant Lord. We come to you in sorrow for our sins. We confess to you our weakness and unbelief. We have lived by our own strength and not by the power of your resurrection. In your mercy, forgive us. Lord, hear us and help us. We have lived by the light of our own eyes, as faithless and not believing. In your mercy, forgive us. Lord, hear us and help us. We have lived for this world alone and doubted our home in heaven. In your mercy, forgive us. Lord, hear us and help us. May the God of love and power forgive us and free us from our sins, heal and strengthen us by his Spirit, and raise us to new life in Christ our Lord.